There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Quartz 96 FM. Yep, good morning, 1850-715-996, the number to call, the text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696, email opinion at 96fm.ie. We're going to look at this AstraZeneca story in detail across the morning. I want to know, are you nervous about it now, or are you saying, look, give it a few days, give it a bit of time, it's just a setback, it's just a precaution... What do you think is going on here? But before we do any of that, and plenty more besides, we have some real actual footage just sent to us of thousands of homes in Cork this morning. Thousands of homes of school-going children. Actual footage this morning. All over Cork City and County. Huge celebrations. As they go back to school. All that's left now is the first, second, third and fourth years after Easter. There you go. Actual footage from every house in Cork with a primary school student this morning. (laughs) I know it is a worrying time and he's hoping that they can stay safe and that the schools can remain safe. Uh, The first batch of kids that went back seems to have passed off without too much of a hitch. Here's hoping it'll work just as well for the rest of them because then the remainder go back after the Easter time. Let us look at this AstraZeneca story. It's on all of the newspapers this morning. um, Every single one of them. But before I do that, let me bring it back to Friday's programme where we had our regular catch-up with Professor Luke O'Neill. Now, at the time we spoke, there were only the Denmark incidents. And that's what I put to Luke on Friday. These were clotting incidents uh, observed among people in Denmark. There was only a couple of cases. I put put this question to Luke O'Neill on Friday's opinion line. Should we be worried about AstraZeneca? No, I wouldn't be. No, no. I mean, it is one to watch, let's put it that way, but leave it to the doctors the scientists. So what happened was in Denmark there was a batch of AstraZeneca and two people had blood clots. And sadly one of them died, so it is quite serious. The fact that there was two made them wonder, you know, is this less than just a coincidence kind of thing, you know. But that was not seen in any other trial, you know. So it could just be bad luck, you see. Yeah. So, but but then again, they've, they've looked at that batch now, they've stopped using it just so they check it out. And now other countries are following suit, but that's an overreaction. This is an extremely effective vaccine 
proven to be safe and tens of thousands of people. I think what happened in Denmark hopefully is just a bit of bad luck, you know? There is a thing in science that correlation does not imply causation. Explain that principle, Luke, and why it's so important right now. Well, you see, that is the key thing that people get mixed up about. Just because two, two things correlate doesn't mean that one is causing the other thing, you know? So for years, a great example is for years the tobacco industry said smoking didn't cause cancer. It just so happened that smokers were getting cancer. You know, there was, there was a correlation, but it wasn't causing it. And then the evidence became clear that smoking was causing cancer, you know? So it's a really important thing to have in mind when you see these things happening. And that case with AstraZeneca, that could just be a correlation. They've just seen two cases and those people happen to have the vaccine. It doesn't mean the vaccine's causing it. You know, that, that's the key part of that. That was Friday talking to Professor Luke O'Neill. Saturday and Sunday then things happened uh, elsewhere and we heard from the uh, Deputy Chief Medical Officer Ronan Glynn yesterday about what they had heard across the weekend. What changed was that we got a notification from the Norwegian Medicines Agency and basically what that notification said was that Norway has identified a cluster uh, of four cases of very unusual uh, clotting events involving the brain uh, for four people in their 30s and 40s. This is very unusual. Uh, the, the cases are very serious cases uh, and on the basis of that information and particularly uh, cognizant I suppose of the fact that we were due to roll out AstraZeneca vaccine this week to many people with underlying medical conditions NIAC felt that they, that they had to recommend a temporary deferral a pause uh, in the programme until we get more information. So that was that. And then yesterday he also reiterated that we hope to hear more about it from the authorities in the next couple of days. The authorities being the European Medicines Agency, which of course licensed AstraZeneca for use across the EU. We will be getting more information from the EMA later this week. That will incorporate uh, this data from Norway and any other information that becomes available across Europe over the coming days. And at that point, hopefully the EMA will, will reiterate its findings that the benefits still outweigh the risks and we can get this programme back up and running. We'll be talking to a couple of experts this morning, including Professor Elizabeth Brint, who's an immunologist uh, from the Department of Pathology at UCC. She'll go through the whole thing with us in detail as to where we are and where we might be headed. And later, I'll be speaking to a professor in the UK who has been warning, he's a lecturer at the University of Cambridge, and he's also a vascular doctor, vascular dealing with veins and blood flow and all that. His name is Mark Toshner. He'll be joining me later on this morning to talk about this thing. Don't be panicking a bit. Don't be panicking right now. Let's just hold back. Let's just pause it for a while and, and take it from there. But let us not panic about this. Uh, there is no cause for panic as we speak right now. So we're going to look into it in a bit of detail on the opinion line this morning. The Sun has it. The Irish Sun says blood clot fears halt the Astra jab. Of course, we know that anyone now who was scheduled for an AstraZeneca vaccine this week won't be having it. Their first dose won't be having it. 30,000 of them, says the examiner. Uh, tens of thousands of people will not receive their first COVID-19 vaccine this week. These are generally people with serious underlying conditions. Remember, they bumped them up the last, up the list a bit. Uh, and they were supposed to start getting their vaccines this week, but that's not going to happen. Now, uh, looking at the Irish Mirror, the Vax Stop. That's a good headline. HSE holds, halts the rollout of the AstraZeneca jab due to blood clot fears. Halts. There was one particular publication yesterday put up a headline to the effect that they'd banned it, which is absolute BS. It's not banned. 
it's paused. That was the kind of clickbait nonsense that A, lands the media in trouble and B, gets the anti-vaxxers hot under the collar and just gives them more nonsense to throw at us. The Irish Independent says the HSE hopes hang on green light for AstraZeneca jabs. There's, it says that 818,000 doses of AstraZeneca are crucial in our bid to exit lockdown this summer. We're supposed to get about 600,000 Johnson & Johnsons as well uh, before the summer. So between the two of them, we kind of need them to get us out and get us some kind of a summer. Irish Daily Mail, caution on clots to delay 30,000 uh, AstraZeneca vaccines. Uh, nobody should panic, says the front page of the Echo. Medical experts in Cork uh, saying that people should not panic following the news that the administration of the vaccine has been uh, deferred. One of them being Dr. Nula O'Connor of the Elmwood Medical Practice in Frankfield. Uh, she is also clinical lead. She's been on the programme with us. Clinical lead for the IGP on um, on COVID. And she again says, nobody should panic at this stage. Let's just wait and see what the science shows up when they look at it in a bit more detail. I'd like to know what you think, though. Something else as well that's coming up with the AstraZeneca vaccine is a lot of people, when they get it, are feeling very ropey for 24 to 36 hours afterwards. That I wouldn't be worrying about in terms of blood clots either. Like, that apparently is quite a common side effect with this. Luke O'Neill said to me Friday, it's quite a common side effect. It is your, basically your immune system going, what the hell is this? And acting against it. And some people are describing it like the worst hangover they've ever had. And it lasts about 24, 36 hours. It'll respond to paracetamol or whatever else you want to take. And you should be okay. That's very common apparently with AstraZeneca. And they're saying that might even be a good thing. But some people have been feeling very, very ropey. So as I say, going to AstraZeneca uh, a little bit later on and focusing on it quite a bit this morning as we seek to clarify the exact situation and try to allay people's fears as best we can. Because that's what we try to do here on the programme. Other programmes try to stoke up your fears. We try to allay them. 1850-715-996. But first we go to Balancolic next. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Cork's 96FM's Select Irish. JC Stewart. Hey, I'm JC Stewart. Gonna break Leah Hart. Hey, I'm Leah Hart. Can you please take me home? Being the select Irish artist for the month really helped my song Older reach multiple new listeners. Isaac Butler. Hey, I'm Isaac Butler. And I wish I could change the past. Sophie Doyle Ryder. Hi, I'm Sophie Doyle Ryder. They're all select Irish artists. Select Irish on Cork's 96FM. It was a great platform for me to showcase my music on Irish radio. And you could be next. If you think you've got what it takes to be our featured artist, check out 96fm.ie forward slash select Irish. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 On Cork's 96FM. I'm already getting the texts in to have me look up this expert and that expert and this video channel and the other video channel. We'll see. We'll see. 1850 715 I know of someone, uh, a location has been given to us here, who had blood clotting problems a day after getting the AstraZeneca. It's concerning. 
Caller says, my UK family have had the Oxford vaccine. The Irish government's performance has been abysmal, objectively. And it's no good just comparing themselves to other countries that are even worse. At this stage, it's like the authorities are trying to come up with excuses not to use it. Well, they've given out 11 million doses of AstraZeneca across the UK. And they've had no great upsurge of anything over there. I think they've given out more AstraZeneca in the UK than anywhere else. About 17 million doses of it given out now at this stage. 11 million in the UK. And they don't seem to have any problems with it. So we'll just wait and see what happens with the scientists. 1850-715-996. Shocking photographs went on social media yesterday morning of the cemetery at the Church of St. Mary and St. John in Ballincollig, where headstones were vandalised, they were broken and they had uh, graffiti daubed on them over the weekend. Local councillor Colm Kelleher joins me. Colm, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Awful thing to, to, to see, particularly distressing for anyone, of course, with anybody in that, at that, that cemetery. And there had been a funeral there, I think, just on Saturday. Yeah, it's, it, it's horrific, you know. Um, it, it, it's absolutely sickening to see, to be quite honest with you. You know, to desecrate a, a grave, final resting place of, of, of an individual, it's, I don't know, it, we're lost for words here in Balancholic, uh, I suppose, over the weekend. It, um, it, 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 my understanding is it happened uh, over Friday night into Saturday morning. Um, Father George, the local parish priest here, uh, contacted the guards. It went up on social media yesterday. I was contacted by a few residents and they forwarded on a few images. But um, no, it's, it, it's absolutely horrific to see. They knocked over headstones. Um, they cracked one headstone down the middle, which mm. I can only imagine was hit with brute force. And then, had to be a sledgehammer or something. It had to be like, yeah. You would imagine, you would imagine some an implement like that, um, and to, and then to, I suppose, tag with graffiti, other other graves. It's absolutely disgusting. Mm. I think one of the graves targeted was a person who, God bless them, had only, had only laid a loved one to rest within a few days ago. Yeah, there, there, there was reference to that yesterday on social media, but I'm, I'm unsure, to be quite honest with you, PJ, in relation to that. Yeah. What did the guards say about this? I know there's CCTV in the area. Yes, so the graveyard of St. Mary's and St. John's, St. Mary's and St. John's is what we would refer to as the old church in Ballincollig. Yeah. It's, it's upstation roads. Uh, the graveyard that would be adjacent to the back of it would probably be one of the older graveyards in Ballincollig. We have Oliver's up the back road as well, a fairly... Uh, larger graveyard but um, it's a small enough graveyard it's, it's wedged between the back of the church and the, na- the boys national school Scalone. Um I spoke with Gardy yesterday uh, in relation to it and there is an ongoing criminal investigation and they are checking CCTV uh, cameras in the locality particularly the ones attached to uh, this, this school Okay so presumably they'll pick that up and they'll, they'll invest we had severe vandalism at Kilcully uh, a year and a bit ago, and and that really upset people. There's what is there any talk locally, column as 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 to who is involved or what? Well, look, I, the I, motive I, was, you know, in relation to a motive, I don't know. Like you, to be quite honest with you, in my own personal opinion, you'd want to be some sort of you know deviant, deplorable individual to do that to desecrate a grave in that manner, um, irregardless of what the yeah. circumstances may have been in that person's head but you know look when it is in relation to uh, I suppose who's responsible there was a few people mentioned yesterday I'd rather not say because oh, it is probably best you don't yeah yeah yeah. yeah 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 it is an ongoing but there are suspects shall we say you know 
Um, my understanding is the guards have, um, you know, a, a definite line of inquiries they're following. Good. That's good um, to hear. But I would say, you know, if and when the perpetrators are caught, they should be made an example of, to be quite honest with you. To desecrate a grave, it's it's sacrilegious, in my own opinion. You did mention that there was issues above in Kilcully, and that was going on for a number of uh, months. And uh, in, in the end, Cork City Council uh, had to install uh, a CCTV monitoring system above there. Um, and, you know, my fear now is, are we getting to a stage where, you know, we have to install... CCTV cameras in our graveyards if that's the direction we're going PJ it's, it's a bad reflection on society to be quite honest with you in my own opinion It is indeed what, who I was thinking of particularly yesterday is those whose, whose mum is no longer with them um, to visit her, her grave on, on Mother's Day and find that kind of carry on you know I know, and you know, look in the I suppose current climate, we find ourselves in Mother's Day must have been, you know, very distressing. Well, it's a day of joy for some people. It's very distressing for others, and uh, you know, I suppose to, to visit a grave yard as one would do on Mother's Day for the mother that has passed away, unfortunately, and to be met with something like this, it's absolutely disgusting. Yeah. Well, we'll see what the guards come up with. Hopefully, they will have uh, they they will be able to to lift someone. Someone needs their collar felt for this carry-on. Thank you very much, uh, Fianna Fáil Councillor Colum Kelleher, 1850-715-996. We did hear, as Colum said, it's one of the stories going around, we did hear that one of the graves vandalised was a grave where there'd only been a funeral in the last number of days, which must be incredibly distressing. Any desecration is distressing for those involved, but imagine having only just buried someone, laid them to rest, and then you might go back Saturday or Sunday to, you know, stand there and pray maybe or just be with them in their presence and to find that. Let's hope the guards can, can as I said, feel someone's collar and quickly. 1850-715-996. Right, let us turn our attention for a few minutes then to the AstraZeneca vaccine. And I will remind you again of what the Deputy Chief Medical Officer, Dr. Ronan Glynn, said about it early yesterday after NIAC, which is the National Immunisation Advisory Committee, had said, right, we need to pause the rollout of AstraZeneca. Here's what Ronan Glynn said. What changed was that we got a notification from the Norwegian Medicines Agency. And basically what that notification said was that Norway has identified a cluster uh, of four cases of very unusual uh, clotting events involving the brain uh, for four people in their 30s and 40s. This is very unusual. Uh, the, the cases are very serious cases. Uh, and on the basis of that information, and particularly uh, cognizant, I suppose, of the fact that we were due to roll out AstraZeneca vaccine this week to many people with underlying medical conditions, NIAC felt that they, that they had to recommend a temporary deferral, a pause uh, in the programme until we get more information. It really is a case of, of the precautionary principle in that they're just stepping back while we get more information. Let us go to UCC, to their Department of Pathology, Professor Elizabeth Brint, who is an immunologist. Beth, good morning to you. Good morning. Can you take us through this? Should we be concerned, just as consumers, trying to understand what's going on here? Yeah, yeah, it- there is no cause for concern and I think that's the most important thing to get across to anybody who's listening who might have been administered the AstraZeneca vaccine. This is a temporary pause for information gathering. Uh, 
you have to remember how many doses of this vaccine have been administered now. So there's 17 million doses being administered worldwide, which is a huge number. So if you think about this in the context of people potentially experiencing a health event after having had the vaccine that has no link to the vaccine, but they do have a health event, that number now that we've administered 17 million doses is going to be increased. Yes. Um, so, so this is just a, 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 as you said yourself, precautionary principle, temporary pause for information gathering to ensure that the vaccine is as safe as we believe it to be, so that we can then resume administration. Is it a bit like make it? A lot of people don't wouldn't understand the va- when they say vascular event, but let's let's bring it down to something like a, like a heart attack. If, if we had a couple of people got a heart attack within 48 hours of getting the AstraZeneca vaccine. We know that a lot of people get heart attacks anyway every day. Is, is, is that what's happened here? That something is... And, and that's exactly right. it. You've put that brilliantly. <laughs> so that's exactly what we think is very likely to have happened. So, um, you know, these are what we call thrombo, thrombolytic events or a pulmonary embolism, which is like a blood clot in the arteries, which can then potentially block the blood flow through the heart. These are completely common events. Mm. Uh, so we're just probably seeing an increased likelihood, sorry, an, you know, people having these very natural events after the vaccine, mm. which has no link to the vaccination itself. I was also reading some other articles across the weekend, which reminded me that a lot of this stuff, how a vaccine reacts in the blood, how it reacts with the hormones in the body, how it reacts with the body chemistry, itself, that will all have been tested in labs and at very early phases of research, won't it? Absolutely. And we have to remember the WHO is still saying this is a totally safe vaccine. All the clinical information we gathered during the clinical trial on this vaccine showed that it was very safe and importantly, very effective. So there, this is simply a temporary pause. Actually, interestingly, AstraZeneca paused uh, their clinical trial in December. They had a report of one event and you pause the trial. I remember that. Completely normal process. You pause the trial, check everything's okay, and then resume. And that's what we're doing here, but just on a kind of more (laughs) multinational, global scale. Yeah. Obviously, EMA has not said anything yet. EMA yeah. is EMA will decide, this is the European Medi- Medicines Agency, which, which has licensed it. They will now what? Review the information? See? They will. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, what kind of process is that? Uh, so it's, it should be hopefully quite a quick process, we would hope. Actually, AstraZeneca released a press release last night saying that they have reviewed all their data and they have shown no association, which indeed is exactly what the EMA is still currently saying and the WHO. So this will just undergo what we hope will be a very quick review. I would hope, as Professor Karina Butler of NIAC said yesterday, that there'll be an answer on this by the end of the week. And we would be very positive that that will show no association and will resume vaccination. And just to reiterate, anybody who has had the AstraZeneca vaccine should in no way be worried. Okay. I mentioned that uh, I'm hearing a lot of people... Again, this is anecdotal. I, I did bring it up with, with um, Luke O'Neill on Friday, but th- there is this anecdotal thing of people who get the AstraZeneca jab, the first one, and then feel a bit ropey for 24 mm. to 36 hours. One guy described it to me as probably the worst hangover he's ever had. <laughs> it's 
good though. That means your immune system's working. Really? Sure is what is, is that your body saying, hey, what the hell is this? Yeah, absolutely. That shows you're mounting an immune response, and that's what we like to see. So your body's seeing that little bit of the COVID-19 virus that is, is integrated into the vaccine. It's going, look at that. Um, you raise an immune response, you feel a bit sick, because don't forget when you get an infection, it's your immune response responding to the infection that makes you feel sick, that gives you the fever and all of that. So that's what happens with the vaccine. So you feel yes. ropey, you're raising an immune response, you'd be quite, you'd be feeling good about your immune response. Uh, right, and then the 36 or so hours later it says, okay, that's all right, we can let that yeah. one in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, yeah. and we let this fill in and work with him kind of thing. Yeah, and of course that means that you've got your immune response, what we call those memory T and B cells hanging out in your body, gotcha. ready that if you see the actual virus, they're ready to respond and fight it off, which of course is the principle of vaccination and that's what makes us gotcha. very happy. Before I let you go, Beth, there's great excitement, of course, about Johnson & Johnson because it's the one that the doctor can literally take out of the fridge. It's the yeah. one that has just one dose and... What, again, when you read the research, this is for people, particularly for people whose, whose normal health is very robust. One jab, away you go. Yeah, it's a great vaccine. It's, uh, as I said to somebody on Friday, it's another great vaccine. So, yeah, really good news. Um, it's, I think it's going to help a lot with the distribution to the more regional areas. Mm. Um, it could help with uh, the rural settings, not just for us, but also globally as well. I think we're also focused on our own vaccine administration campaigns that we forget about the world in general. Fair point. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, this is a really, really important vaccine for third and, world And one of the biggest vaccine countries. companies in the world, which would be yeah. great for this COVAX thing that the WHO are running to get that Precisely. around. To the, yeah. Precisely. Right. So, so, yeah, and a really good vaccine as well. Okay. 100% effective at preventing hospitalisation and death. That's incredible. That. Yeah. That's incredible. All right, listen, yeah. thanks very much for that. My pleasure. Professor, thank you very much. Professor Elizabeth Brint, an immunologist based at the UCC Department of Pathology. There is nothing to worry about. I think I, I, I really think that's great to hear actual scientists and not people who graduated from the University of Twitter. Actual scientists uh, telling us there is nothing to worry about here. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. The Cork Diary. On Cork's 96FM. Kinsale Atlantic Artists are holding a window and online exhibition of original works from the 11th to the 29th of March. Featuring everything from watercolour, oil painting, textile and sculpture, the event is in aid of Daffodil Day 2021 and the Irish Cancer Society. To find out more, check out Kinsale Atlantic Artists' Facebook page. If you have an event you would like mentioned, email corkdiary at 96fm.ie. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 0833969696. On Cork's 96FM. Couple of things on the desk. A few faux gris. Uh, received across the Derrishachta. It is still Kaikishna Gwelga, so we'll throw the old Kupla Focal in here and there. Good news and welcome news for uh, someone who was on the programme many times, Rose Demol and her friend Brenda Keane Short. 
They have been jointly named as Cork Persons of the Month for March. Both human rights activists, very dedicated to their cause. We've spoken to Rose many, many times on the programme. Congratulations. They go forward now in the monthly Cork Persons of the Month and, of course, the Cork Person of the Month for 2021 renamed in January 2022. Very sad story and a horrible story. I tweeted this little video last night as I was getting into the bed. Uh, my lovely horse rescue had found a beautiful little pony in Cove. Gorgeous little creature tethered up with a rope and of course tied way too tight and left there way too long. The rope was wrapped around three of her legs. She was lying in mud, very stressed, very weak, very cold. And my lovely horse rescue, wonderful, wonderful people, they they got her off the tether. They cleaned her up a little bit, got her made a bit comfortable, called a vet. But unfortunately, the vet had to put her to sleep. Um, And I tweeted last night, and I absolutely stand over it. The people who did that to that little animal, it themselves should be tethered up and left in the cold and the wet and the mud for a few days to see how they'd like it. Tied way too tight with a piece of rope around your leg. You can't get away. You can't get to food. You're freezing cold. You're covered in mud. Maybe we should leave a few of those people tied up like that. Horrible news and very, very, very sad. It's not illegal, believe it or not, to tether an animal like that. It's not illegal. But they can't get at food. She was there for days. She was dehydrated. She had colic. She had horrific injuries to her legs and the rest of her body. She probably was all riddled with infection from the mud and the dirt. Poor little creature. Poor, poor creature. And once again, we're indebted to the fabulous people of uh, my lovely horse rescue for, for what they do. 1857 I also got a, a letter. You don't get very many handwritten letters uh, anymore which I miss, um, because it's lovely to get one now and again. Obviously something typed, email, whatever, that's fine too. But I got this, which I, I will not give the address, and the person just called themselves M. We're in Cheltenham week. I'll be talking about Cheltenham a little bit later on. It is a huge event. It's one you can argue whether or not it should be going ahead this week, but look, it is what it is. I'm writing this letter to you as we're all aware that Cheltenham is on this week. My reasons for doing it is to highlight the enormous effect that gambling can have on anyone living with or close to a compulsive gambler. I was one of those people. Just for today, my compulsive gambler is in recovery after having gone through traumatic and financial pain. As the person close to a compulsive gambler, the effects for me were horrendous. Because this is a silent illness, it's very difficult to know the gambling is actually going on. What I mean by silent is that when someone is using other substances, you'll see the effects, like drinking or taking drugs, have a physical effect. I struggled very much with the lies and the lack of trust that went on with gambling. I know many people who lost their houses because of compulsive gambling. I also believe the lies the gambler told me And once again and again, I was let down by those lies. The gambling took its toll big time on me. I was emotionally broken and physically wrecked as I tried many a time to control it. I paid off debts incurred by the gambler and he would promise that we would never gamble again. I did this because I was full of fear and shame. 
I had people knocking on my door that were owed money by the compulsive gambler. This was very embarrassing for me as I didn't even know them, nor did I know he owed them money. I eventually had to seek medical help for myself and I was very close to a breakdown. After this, I decided to seek help. I saw a poster in my local church that said if one needs help as a result of living with or had having lived with a compulsive gambler, we in Gammonon can help. I called the number on the poster and I got to speak with a lovely lady who knew what compulsive gambling was and how it affected her and others. I met that lady the following week and I went to my first Gammonon meeting. At last, I'd met people who understood how I felt and that I was not imagining all these awful feelings and emotions. I was experiencing them. I started to put the focus on me and I learned that no matter what I said or did, the only one that can stop a compulsive gambler from gambling is the gambler themselves. I know, PJ, this is quite a long letter, but we don't hear enough about how addictions can affect family members and those close to the addicts. Thank you, PJ. I'd really appreciate it if you could read this out as it may just help someone who is alone, afraid and unable to cope because of a close one's gambling addiction. I was one of those. Gammonon has a helpline number and it's 87 Calls are answered between 8 and 10 p.m. Thanks again. Just signed M. And you get one of these letters every year, I think. In fairness, you do. Every year you get a letter like this as we come into Cheltenham. And for so many people, Cheltenham is such a load of fun. I've spent many a happy Friday afternoon in the pub, Friday afternoon of Cheltenham week with a few friends and a few flutters and a few points. And it's great. It's wonderful fun. But for someone who is addicted to gambling, Cheltenham is the worst week of the year. And for someone who is living with a person affected by gambling, Cheltenham is the worst week of the entire year. I happen to know somebody who is 30-something years since their last bet, but still struggles with Cheltenham. Goes out, does other things, goes walking, goes cycling, goes fishing when it's allowed in the 5K, just to get away from the telly. Because 30 years after he last laid a bet, he could easily lay a bet by the start of the second race in Cheltenham. It's lethally dangerous for the compulsive gambler or the families of them. And I am delighted to get that letter. Thank you so much, M. I know exactly where you live because I lived in that part of the world. But my goodness me, such a story. And it is so, so widespread. 1850-715-996. If you are concerned about anybody's gambling this week and for yourself as a result of somebody's gambling this week, that number again for Gammon On is 87 We will be talking about Cheltenham later in a more positive light, but I just wanted to bring that to your attention now. Our own uh, Pat Mulcahy from C103 Sport just messaged me to say that he has a number of years' experience in the on-course betting industry and has great sympathy for what that person is going through. Online betting, though, Pat says, is what he considers the worst thing in the world. If people had physical cash and saw what they're losing, it's sometimes easier to control and to deal with. Online 
companies just see people as another number. And that is a constant complaint that online betting is so lethal. Kate again says the same. What about the betting on your phone? It's so easy to place bets on your mobile. On the subject of the vandalism in Ballincollig, Teresa said anyone who'd vandalise a grave is a disgrace. Scumbags. It's not cheap to replace a headstone, which should never have to happen to any family. The world is worried enough with this pandemic going on. Shame on them. How would they like it if it happened to their family? They're just selfish. Well, we won't say that, but anyway. They do it for a laugh. Low life. They're not human. They're sick. 1850-715-996. Now, before I go to Siobhan, just to remind you, Sean, before you tell me your story... Um, for reasons that protecting you and us more than anybody else, we won't be saying where this happened at all. Okay, but I do. I, I know that following on from my conversation with Holly uh, on Friday, uh, with her own with her story about what happened to her last summer with her friend, and in the context, of course, of Sarah Everard and that horrible story from the UK, and the number of women who have been coming forward with their own stories over the last week, week and a half and very, very close to home and an awful lot of them. So Siobhan, I think the lads have said to you outside as well and just to ask you once again, let us not say where this actually happened. Of we're course. O- we're okay yeah. with that? That's great. No problem. Okay, so what did happen? I should also say this happened over 10 years ago. Right. So, yeah. Um, one night I was out in a pub and this guy was... Um, trying to chat me up and he wouldn't take no for an answer and he was very persistent, very annoying and uh, eventually to get rid of him because he was really annoying me, um, I give him a number, uh, my phone number, um, Mm. but I I give him a wrong number um, to try and make him go away, leave me alone. And then I was at work the following day and uh, the phone rang and uh, he was on the other end of it. And he says, oh, you thought you were very smart. Give me a, um, a false number last night. Um, and I knew he was a guard. He'd said he was a guard. And uh, I said, how did you uh, get my number? And he went, oh, I have the ways and these means to do that. Mm. And had you given him information about you, where you worked or anything like that, no? No, not really. I mean, I, I, I really was trying to keep contact at a minimum because I, he, he just kind of gave me the creeps anyway. Mm. Um, so I gave him very little information, but he'd kind of, I suppose, kind of, I don't know, I must have given him enough for him to figure out um, yeah, well, where I was. Yeah, how did you feel that he'd managed to weasel your number out of somebody? Oh, I, w- I was a little bit freaked out, but not in a, a kind of... Um, I wasn't panicked because I was like, this is ridiculous, it's just a creep. And um, um, I kind of let it go. And then he, he rang back nearly every day that week trying to get me to go on a date with him. Right. And I was freaked out by it. it but I, I don't want to give the impression that somehow or another I was panicking because... No, but I mean, I did, you have convers- did you have conversations with him about, look, I don't want to go out with you, stop calling me? I did, and as the week went on, it became I became more explicit. But like like most women know, um, you know, you have to be kind of sometimes careful about how you communicate this because um, it can actually evoke 
a negative reaction in the other person. And what you're trying to do, and what we all, I think, learn from a very young age, is how to kind of sidestep, um, situ- you know, d- d- I suppose, situations that are feel a little bit risky. Mm. Well, this was a member of Angada Shikana clearly abusing his position. Yeah. And I knew that. And because of the work I was involved in at the time, I really, really didn't want to be involved. Um, I didn't want to be making a complaint to the guards. I was doing some, you know, kind of community work myself at the time. Yes, I understand. And um, which often involved maybe sometimes, you know, being critical of the guards. And I certainly didn't want to be drawing them yes. on me. And would he have been aware of the work you would, would presumably if he found your phone number? Oh, yeah, he, he did, yeah. Yeah, he was, yeah. Right. And, like, did you feel in any danger at all? Like that he might find your home address and arrive at your front door or something? I mean, I mean this was over 10 years ago, so I can't remember exactly all the thoughts I had. Of course. But, yeah, I mean, I, I, I did have a kind of a, an awareness that you know like I, you know that he could this could escalate I, I kind of you know kind of remember nearly like doing that kind of checklist in my head about things you know was I okay where was I where you know I, I mean I, I lived with a partner no I didn't sorry at the time I wasn't living with a partner um, I was sharing a house mm. but um you know, I, I didn't kind of like consciously sit down and plan all that no, out. But you did, you did by the sounds of it, Siobhan, you did check yourself in a way that no one should have to. Yeah, and I think this is the actually point, of, this is one of the reasons I, I kind of, you know, I, I, I did this, I, had, I put it in a tweet actually on, on Saturday yes. night um, after watching what was happening in Clapham Commons and yes. the outrage about what, you know, women's safety in the streets and the, you know, the experience of violence is that I realized like constantly um, running through those kind of like checklists in my head. And now I have a 13 year old daughter and I do it for her. And I'm like, my God, it's become so nearly like ingrained in us to kind of like checklist safety kind of and, and risk assessments. We don't even really talk about it anymore. Yeah. But like what kind of conversations do you have with your daughter? So I, I live on the outskirts of the village here in West Cork, actually. And, um, you know, I, I, when she's heading off down to the village, um, especially during the summer when there's a lot of people around, um, you know, I, I say, OK, have you got your phone? Is it turned on? Um, I, I kind of have subtle conversations where I'm trying to say, if you're in any situation where you're feeling uncomfortable or you're worried about some, somebody else, um, you know, can, can you just kind of call me and just say, ask you to do, ask me to do something stupid, you know, that, that kind of, in some yes. ways... A, a little cold. A little, yeah. Without actually trying to frighten her, because one of the other things that I feel really strongly about and it's actually very upsetting the older she gets as I realise I'm passing the burden of responsibility for her own safety onto her shoulders and in the meantime I have a 17 year old son and he's heading off down the village Do you you have conversations with your son? Yeah I do but like he, he hasn't a clue about what you know actually goes on for girls I, I mean I try and have that those conversations try and make him see 
like in some ways, like the the like the 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 privilege he has of just being able to walk around with a sense of entitlement, never even having to think about am I safe or not. I wor- I mean, I do worry about him getting into you know maybe having a a fight or something. Yeah. Um, but I never worry that he's in danger because of anything to do with his uh, his gender. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he'd be obviously very protective of his sister. But you know what? In some ways, he wouldn't. He wouldn't. <laughs> I mean, like, he, like he he just doesn't see the danger she's in. Ah, that's a good point. That's a good point. I think you know we talk about you know teach teach your sons to treat women with respect, which of course we all should. But but we have to accept that they don't see the problem. The problem, and also, I mean, I've heard him say to her a few times, "Oh, if anybody is at you, tell me, and I'll sort them out." And I'm like, "Come back here a second. That's a typical teenage boy's response. Like. Yeah, but it's like, oh, match violence with more violence. Like, I'm like, where do you think that's going to solve anything? And also, you're, you're, that makes it about you and not about my daughter's safety. Mm. You know, like it's just. There's, there's a bigger conversation, and there's, it's very. I find it very difficult as a mother of a boy and a girl, and watch like trying to pull him back and trying to, in some ways, encourage her to go forward. Mm. And he's probably and a perfectly good lad, but you're still oh, just yeah. concerned by the people he might meet or the things he would be around. Not even that. He's yeah. a great young fella, mm. you know. And I'm so worried. And friends. you'd have no fears of him, I'd say. No, but I. But my fear is is that he's going up in a world where he's getting messages pushed at him from every like notification. I mean, so like he never is off his phone, mm-hmm. but he's getting all these messages about he's kind of like you know, kind of in some ways, macho role in the world, and I have to work extra hard to try and balance that out. And to actually, do you know what? That's not going to get you anywhere in your own life. It isn't like, you know, kind of a match your kind of outlook. Mm. It doesn't help men either. Where do you think that comes from, Vaughan? Um, I mean, there's, there's lots of things. It starts off, you know, at a very young age, I think, when I think about... Um, some of the kind when I seen them as kids, like small kids, but you know, boys are encouraged to be kind of tough. Mm. The girls are encouraged to kind of let their emotions out. Um, you know, all the way through to like peer groups. Like when I see my son with his peer group, they all kind of act up a bit, and they're all like they want to be kind of like they want to be men before. Well, even though they're, they're still you know, young teenagers in some ways. Yeah. They want to be, he, there was an old saying, he want, they want to be a man before they're a chap. The, yeah, and there's a kind of a, a bravado thing that goes with this, especially, I mean, I live in rural Ireland. We also lived in the middle of Dublin and we moved from Dublin to, you know, down here because I was like, I don't want my kids going up, especially yeah. my son going up on the street where in you know in Dublin pick City, up I want dangerous and toxic space. and toxic habits. Do yes. you think, Siobhan, it is a good thing that we are having these conversations, painful though they are for many women to have, we are having these conversations in the wake of poor Sarah Everard? 
I think it is good. Um, I I think though we need to be careful that it doesn't become a kind of a you know women pick you know pitched against men and that there's and, and partly the problem with some some of the social media stuff and I I mean I get it myself is it's like oh you know you're having a go with men you know and and there's a kind of an over and back and that doesn't help help us at all um if this helps to put the focus on why and how society needs to change and that men need to take responsibility Mm -hmm. for male violence. Like the fact is, you know, most of the violence that's, that's, that's out there both towards women and towards men is, 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 is kind of caused by men and men have to take responsibility for that. And if this, what's happening now helps to to put that forward even more, well then that has to be a good thing. Okay. I'm going to leave it there for no reason other than time. Siobhan, thank you very much. The Opinion Live with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. 1850-715-996 is the number to call. Text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. If you missed anything in our first hour, do not forget the podcast is available to you every afternoon. Usually goes up there between 2 and 3. Available first on Twitter and then on all your various platforms and the Cork's 96FM app. Every afternoon, the Opinion Line podcast. We also do run an overnight repeat show, or the highlights of it, between 3 and 5 a.m. If you keep those kind of outrageous hours, or if you're listening to us at any other strange uh, time of the day or night in a strange part of the world, then that might just well be your afternoon show or your morning show. So if you're listening to either the podcast or the overnight show, best way to get us is always an email, opinion at 96fm.ie or indeed WhatsApp works from anywhere in the world on the subject of that misfortunate little horse or little pony in uh, Cove that um, the, the great people at my lovely horse rescue found her tethered up badly injured maciated um, all sorts of neglect that happened poor misfortunate thing had to be put down by a vet um, and I was just saying myself last night on Twitter that anyone who'd tether up a little beast like that and leave them without food, in the cold, in the mud for days on end uh, that I think they should well be tethered up themselves whoever they are. Andrew is in Blackpool, he said, morning PJ on the subject of that poor horse in Cove I wonder will there be the same national outcry for that poor little beast as there was for the poor horse in the Gordon Elliott story. I think not, because people don't have the courage to stand up and speak out against those people like you did yourself last night on Twitter. It's a pity that not more in the media would follow suit and speak their minds rather than hide behind a mic and and editors. Well, do you know what? I, I, I don't know who left that little pony in that state, but whoever they are, as I said, I would like to see them tethered up themselves for a little while. See how they like it. 1850-715-996. Could we please thank everyone in the Tyrone home and all involved in the COH and MUH Children's Remembrance Service, which was aired on Friday night on YouTube. So much hard work and was always beautiful and very, very special. And that comes in from 
Maria. Thank you for that, Maria. Happy to mention that. Remember last week we spoke to James Chisholm, uh, Corkman from Choker, but he's been in Essex for uh, about 20 years now, and he runs a gym over there. And he started an initiative last year to try to cut down on the amount of knife crime and to try to, I suppose, help some youngsters that he could see headed down the wrong road. And he came up with this uh, knives down, gloves up idea. He offered free gym memberships to young fellas who would surrender their knives and instead of joining the gang, would join his club. And he was quite open about that not everybody not everybody does it and he's not successful with every kid but he's had a few and some of them have gone on to box for his club and we talked about you know the discipline of boxing and if what, what, how it can help particularly young lads but increasingly young girls now are involved in boxing it can help them to channel that teenage normal teenage angst which can so often turn into aggression but it just helps them to channel it into more positive things. And at the end of that conversation with James, I was just throwing it out there that we'd follow it up a bit. bit. And I said there's an observation I'd made myself. When I was a young lad, there was loads of boxing clubs, just like James was saying. There was loads of boxing clubs. They were in every street corner. But the little community-run boxing clubs, they were run on a shoestring. They barely had enough money for a ring and a few gloves and maybe a bedraggled old punch bag. But they took kids off the streets. They taught them a skill. They taught them discipline. Some became great boxers out of it. But they learned discipline in their teenage years. And I was just throwing it out there. You know, could we possibly link the demise of the small community boxing club to the rise in teenage aggression on our streets? Uh, maybe one man who could talk to me a bit more about that is a man who's been involved in boxing all of his life. Uh, he was in the Olympics in 92, boxed at flyweight. Paul Buttimer, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Paul, you remember that time just like I do, a little community-based boxing club on every street corner. Yes, at least over 35 to 36 boxing clubs between um, Cork City and County over the years, going back 40-odd years ago. And how many have we now, Paul? Um... I think it's 28 or 29. There may be a little bit more. There's, there's recently there, there was a new club opened back up again in um, Cove. Yeah. And um, they're doing very well at the moment. Good, you know? good. The the predominance of it, though, is gone. Boxing was an enormous sport in Cork back in your time. Every second kid was involved in it. It's, it's not so much now. And I just think that the discipline of boxing is missing from kids' lives now. It is, it is. I mean, we're, we're out of... Out of commission now from the boxing club for almost 12 months. And we got a couple of weeks uh, started at the end of last year, and then we were put back into the third lockdown. But we have, we have a couple of kids that, that, that are inside our club that would be rough and ready, you know, on the street. Your parents have said to us, would you mind taking them in, and calm them down and everything else. It's chat, like you said, channeled with controlled, controlled aggression. If you can control your aggression inside any sports club, especially boxing, mm. you're going to be one hell of a boxer. 
mm. because you're giving it a hundred and ten percent. I mean, we have kids, we have kids in in around the country that have unbelievable talent and uh, and everything else, but they don't want to train half the time. I'd rather spend a hundred percent time with a guy or a girl that would give me a hundred and ten percent commitment, but might never make it as a boxer. You mm. give them, you give them the commitment, you know. And I mean, it's it's sad the way things are going with this pandemic at the moment. But we have to, we have to abide by the laws and the rules and regulations yeah, yeah. Of, of of everything else, you know. Yeah. And um, oh, it's it's sad, it's sad the way that there's an awful an awful lot of fighting and uh, gang 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 fights around the place at the moment, north side and south side. We have a fierce you problem know? with knives, haven't we, Paul? We have, we have. I mean, I remember. No, we were no angels. We weren't. We weren't scumbags either. But we were no angels. You'd have a one-on-one with someone, and you shake hands and you walk away. Yeah, I claim you. Know, <laughs> yeah, I claim you. I claim you. I, I meet you up the back seat. You get to right. talk. And you, you know, poke, the you poke sugar of each other, and then you shook hands and went home. You shook yeah. hands, and then when you got a bit older, you, you had it. You had a point or two, and you'd have an argument with yep. some fellow. You go outside the door. And give a dig, a dig each to each other, and you go not and get to be encouraged, by the way. But it's, yeah. no, yeah, yeah. no. But but you see, well, the knife is out now, or the broken the glass, or the broken knives, bottle. The knives, yeah. the bottles, you name it, and it's not one on ones anymore. It's gangs. Yeah, you know. I mean, I've seen a couple of fights recently. They're just up on on Facebook. That oh, just just crazy, and everyone egging them on. They go on, bust them, bust them. Half of them fellas, our, go- our girls even, that are fighting on the streets. They haven't got the guts to get into the ring. Yeah. Why? Because it's consoled. Why? Because you can't boys. Why? Because you can't kick or you can't hit boss or anything like that. I mean, boxing is a science. Yeah. There's some beautiful boxers. I mean, we have some lovely kids down below in the club. Around the city and county, some beautiful kids that are, that are really lovely boxers. Mm. You know, are the up and coming boxers, and they're missing out on an awful lot at the moment. Yeah. And we'd be very lucky. We've over seventy members in our club, Northside Boxing Club, and I'd be lucky to get thirty of them back. I said. And why is that, Paul? Because they're 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 getting up to development now. I reckon at the moment, you know. I mean, I see a few of them around the place. They're like, and they're after putting on serious weight because they have nothing else to do. They've no they've, they've no sports. Hopefully, soon we can get it back. Get back back to where doing some type of training. I mean, they're they're, they're saying falsely that it's going to be outdoors, but how you, how can you train outdoors if you're going to have the bad weather? No, I yeah. can't understand it. I mean, there, there has been one case of COVID in all the boxing clubs, north and south. Yeah. One case, yeah. and that was in Dublin club in a Dublin club. Yeah. Of, uh, I guess they'd be worried about the spread, of course, in you know sweaty surroundings and that kind of thing. Focus yeah. a bit for me, though, Paul, on the, on the discipline of of boxing. So you get a young, we'll say for argument's sake, a, a, a worried dad says yeah. to you, "Listen, Seamus is fifteen there, and he's always in trouble, and he tells yeah. you to take him under your wing and and teach him a bit of boxing." What's that process, Paul? Well, the the process first is to have respect for himself. And respect for others, whether they, whether you get on, I mean, in a soccer club or a boxing club or any type of club, you're not going to get on with everybody in the club. Mm. But we'll try and keep them apart. And we'll teach them discipline. We'll teach them fitness. We'll teach them how to defend themselves. And then we'll teach them how to throw punches properly. Now, a lot of them that do come into clubs, into boxing clubs, 
don't want to box, they just want to train because the fitness level in boxing is unbelievable. It's, mm. it's one of the hardest fitness programs going. Mm. I mean, I, I've had um, soccer clubs that came down to us and they just couldn't last, last a, whole, a whole hour. Yeah. They were, one, one guy looked at me and he said, what are you doing? I said, they're buckets. What are they for? When you're getting sick down in a minute. <laughs> and he's looking at me saying, you're joking me. I said, I'm sick enough. Oh, that's grand. He said, how old are you? I said, I, this now was last year or the year before. I said, I'm in my 50s, I said. All right, right, right. And I do the session with them like a, a circus. He's halfway around. He said, where's the bucket? <laughs> and uh, they just can't do it. It's different yeah. levels of fitness, you know? Yeah. And I think if you challenge... Teenagers, particularly, with that. Now, it can be it can be a lot of fun. It can be very tough. But if you challenge yeah. them, that becomes their target, rather than the fellow who said "boo" to them out the road. Yes, exactly. And we have a, we have a rule also in the boxing because I I know a lot of people in Cork City and County, and it, everything gets back to me. You do not use your boxing outside of the club unless okay. it's to protect yourself. But you don't keep digging and digging and digging if you have to go. In other words, you don't be the first to raise the hand. Yes. It takes a bigger person to walk away from from a fight. Yes. But there are cases where, like, the gang members are on the place that they gang up on one fella, four or five of them gang up on one person, and Mm. you put your back against the wall, and hell for leather, throw punches. It's funny because that's yeah, yeah, something that I was was aware of that in in what you might call the, the martial arts. That, you know, if you're at a certain level in karate or taekwondo or, yes. or, or, or aikido, you, 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 you have a quiet conversation with your aggressor and say, look, don't make me do what I'm able to do. Please. Yes. And I, end I, it now. Yes. It won't end well for you. Yes. It, exactly. Are you encouraging your young boxers <laughs> to do the same? Yes, we are. And, and, and actually, when you, when you box for the first time as an, an 11-year-old boy or girl, you get a boxing book. And that's actually a license. Right. And that license can be taken away from you through the club, the county, provincial or national committees. Mm. So that gives them an incentive not to get involved in fights. You see, a lot of people get involved in, in sports, martial arts or, or boxing, contact sports. They don't build that late at night anyway because they're, they're trained so hard. They're in the gym in the morning at six o'clock. Yeah. Exactly. Some of them. Yeah. Exactly. No, if you have the younger kids, obviously, they won't be in the gym that early in the morning, but they don't be out at night. Why? Because we know if they're out all night and they're coming in and there's lines on the, on the eyes and they're wrecked looking and you're looking at them and you're saying, yeah, you were in bed early, weren't you? Yeah, I was. You liar. But I tell you, we're going to sweat you now tonight. <laughs> they just wouldn't be able for the session. Yeah. The most important part of, of, of uh, your fitness is rest after a good session. Especially if you're making a waste, you need to conserve your energy. And, like, we, we have a fantastic committee down below in the club there in the Boston Club in Blackpool. And the kids get on great with everybody. We have four coaches. There's myself, there's Jonathan, there's Darren, there's Amy. We, you have to have a female coach also, and obviously in the yes. club because of, of girls there. And we have some fantastic girls, you know. And, and I'm in contact with a few of them. I mean, we're all, we're all depressed in some bit of way, you know, over this pandemic, but we've got to get through it. We'll get yeah. through it, yeah. you know, and when we do, we'll hopefully be back soon and, and, and we'll get back into competitions. And again, going back to, to yourself with the knife crime, there's no excuse for us. Yeah. There is no excuse for us. I mean, 
there's an old saying, monkey see, monkey do. If you call someone's na- someone names, the parents are probably at it or they'll listen to it out in the street and everything else. I have three young kids of my own and they won't be outside the door after seven o'clock at night. Yeah. I don't care. I don't care who's calling to the door to them. They're not outside the door because they can't get into trouble then. They're yeah. just around the estate and they're staying with their friends and then they'll go come home. Yeah. You know? I don't know whether you heard my conversation with James Chisholm last week, but but what he's achieved at his club in Essex is phenomenal. Even if it's only a half a dozen lads, but he knows their lads were headed for for gangland. Yes. Only for he yes. got them. Uh, James was you know James, do you? I do, I know of, of James. I've seen him boxing over the years. A good talent, a very good talent he was. Yeah. And um, he's doing fantastic over in England at the moment. And like he said, you can't get through to every one of them. You know, I mean, we've all been through the middle. We've all we've all been stubborn in our day and everything yeah. else. But when it comes to knife, just oh, that's unbelievable. I, I I don't I don't think I could ever lift anything up to anybody. Only my hands because I I, I <laughs> you wouldn't I need to. But see, in fairness, you wouldn't need to. There's <laughs> well, not much in there, like but you would make bits of us. I mean, but, but I mean, it's better to walk away from a fight. But it, nowadays, it's not easy. Because that, like 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 we spoke about earlier, there's gangs yeah. and there's not it's not one on one anymore. And to, to me, they're cold. Have you ever had to have that conversation with a fella where he'd come up to you and, say, and you say, "Listen to me, you know, well, right, it won't end well for you if you draw yeah, me out." Well, I used to do the doors in second tone. All right, I done the doors in tone, and a guy came up to me one night and he was fairly oiled up, you no, know, like, and he said, "I'm going to ask you once, you no." Know, a country villa. I said, what's that? He said, you're either one or the other. No, he said, a bit off your game or able to take care of yourself. He said, which one are you? I said, unfortunately for you, I'm a bit of both. <laughs> 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 That'll do so, he said. And he walked off. All right. Oh, God. Paul, you know what? You're, you're, you're doing what you do a very long time. You're doing great work with young people, as are many of the other great coaches around town. And yes. I hope, I do, and look... We all know the science about lockdown and restrictions and all of that, but I would love to see the young lads get back into sport because they are missing it. Whether it's whether yeah. it's hurling or boxing or whatever, anything, they are missing it. Anything at all. My own two boys now are 12 and 10 years of age and they play soccer for Castleview up here on the north side of the city. Mm. And they're going back soon now, hopefully, outdoors. Yeah. You know, yeah, And yeah. That's, that's, that has to be good for their mental health. Yeah. You, you, know, have, you, have, to, you have to burn off that energy. Up. Yeah. Burn off the energy and stay away from the fridge. I can't keep up with them. <laughs> so they're breaking my pocket, our pockets, my wife, my pockets. It's just a fridge. There's nothing else to do. It's just a, a routine they have no down the stairs. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. 
Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And the Randy, I've had some everything else. And I come in from work and I... Oh, yeah. uh, oh my God! Right, where you going to? Just checking the fridge. Yeah, it is there. Stay away from it. You open the fridge. Open the door of the fridge. The fridge goes. You again? Yeah. yeah. Oh, <laughs> Great to catch up. It's been a while. Thanks very much. That's Paul Bodimer. Uh, fought and the Olympics for Ireland in 1992 as a flyweight, uh, coaching young lads. And do you know what? We all know the importance of the restrictions and following them. But definitely they need to get the kids out doing sport, whether it's boxing or running or hurling or football. We need to get them out and get the energy because it's going down it'll it'll go it'll go down the wrong way if it doesn't go down the right way. Thanks, Paul. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. I will go back to AstraZeneca and the fears about it and the actual science of what's going on Next, 1857-15996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. Marking exactly one year since live music venues closed their doors, Mick Flannery is showcasing a nine-venue virtual tour of Ireland with performances shown online over two weekends the 18th and 28th of March Access all areas Scouting for Girls have announced a brand new album Easy Cover to be released on March 26th and the band have also revealed that they'll be coming to Cypress Avenue for a show on November 26th Tickets are now on sale for the show from the venue's website cypressavenue.ie Access all areas Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have any rescheduled shows coming up or live streaming events by email Emailing us at aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. So again, just to reiterate where we stand right now with AstraZeneca in this country. It has been paused on the advice of NIAC, which is the Immunology Advisement Advice Committee for the government. And... Dr. Ronan Glynn, the Assistant Chief Medical Officer, outlined yesterday morning early what had changed to prompt that decision. What changed was that we got a notification from the Norwegian Medicines Agency and basically what that notification said was that Norway has identified a cluster uh, of four cases of very unusual 
uh, clotting events involving the brain uh, for four people in their 30s and 40s. This is very unusual. Uh, the, the cases are very serious cases. Uh, and on the basis of that information, and particularly uh, cognizant, I suppose, of the fact that we were due to roll out AstraZeneca vaccine this week to many people with underlying medical conditions, NIAC felt that they, that they had to recommend a temporary deferral, a pause uh, in the programme until we get more information. Now, as Professor Elizabeth Brint from UCC told us earlier this morning, that may last only a few days because the work has already been done by the European Medicines Agency and that hopefully the, 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 the pause on AstraZeneca may well be lifted within a few days. Also, yesterday morning, as that story was breaking, I read a, a fascinating thread on Twitter, which I retweeted from a man called Mark Toshner, who is a lecturer at the University of Cambridge, but more, more importantly, he is a vascular physician. Uh, in other words, veins and blood are, are what he does, as it were. Fascinating thread, followed again this morning by another uh, series of tweets, uh, which effectively, I think, uh, Mark, you're suggesting that this is an overreaction by everybody and that it's actually going to do more harm than good. Good morning. Morning. Uh, uh, thanks for inviting me on. Uh, just for clarity, so that people, uh, so your audience know who I am and what, what, what my full set of potential conflicts are. I also was an investigator on the Chadox trials. Okay. So, so not only am I a pulmonary vascular physician and I deal with clots on a daily basis, but, but, but I actually helped run some of these studies and have a pretty good understanding of the kind of safety data that we generate. So you were involved in the studies into AstraZeneca as well, were you? No, not the AstraZeneca. So AstraZeneca uh, had nothing to do with the original studies. The original studies were all run through Oxford. So these were not run by a drugs company, but run by... By Oxford University with funding from the UK okay. government. Okay, so you're well aware of, of, of where we are with the research. So, so this, I suppose people are afraid about this, even though immunologists are saying, hold on, it's just a pause, it's nothing to worry about. But I think you're concerned that, that, um, that, that it may frighten people. Yeah, and, and I'm going to tell you what's going to happen here and, and, and why I think it's the wrong decision. And I understand the decision. The decision on the face of it is a safety decision. So nobody sensible would be arguing that we should be doing anything unsafe. But we're talking about a very small amount of cases in amongst tens of millions of people that have been vaccinated. So there is only one conclusion to this. This is what's going to happen. There's going to be a pause. Either they will say, these events are proven to be related to the vaccines or they are not. And, and the likely answer is actually they're, going to be, they're not going to be able to say that they're proven to be related to the vaccines because they're either completely rare events, and that seems to be the story that's emerging right now, but a lot of this is Chinese whispers, or the other option being that this is a common disease and peas are common, very common in fact, and that vaccines may slightly increase your risk of peas. Mm-hmm. Now, that, that's actually not in line with the evidence anywhere else in the rest of the world. So, so far, of the 11 million uh, people that have been vaccinated in the UK, we see no signal of an increase in PEs. Of the 17-plus million people in AstraZeneca's database, they actually think they see a lower rate than they would expect for clots. The WHO and the EMA have both said there is no increased risk of clots with this vaccine. So... What's going to happen is they're going to say, we've looked at these events, 
We don't see anything that would stop the programmes that are going to open up again. But but you've seeded a doubt in people's minds. And, and, and so very naturally, people are going to be anxious about it. And, and it misses the wider context. And that's really simple, which is that we, we already know that taking a vaccine is safer than than getting coronavirus. And, and that's the calibration here. It isn't getting a vaccine versus not getting a vaccine. Taking a vaccine is is in every single risk category safer than getting coronavirus, but it also prevents you or reduces your chance of spreading it to your loved ones who may be in very high risk categories. And these events will not change that because they're either very, very rare and therefore not applicable to the, the vast majority of people that have, uh, have, have a vaccine, or they are a slightly increased common risk. And again, in that scenario, the, the risks of the, of the disease are still going to outweigh the risks of the vaccine. So in fact, by ostentatiously closing your programmes down and highlighting this as a big possible concern, when you eventually open up and tell everybody, don't worry, it's fine, which is what's going to happen, people will have residual anxiety that yeah. they just didn't need to have. So I think it's the wrong thing to do. And and, and, and I don't normally take such firm uh, positions on these things because I understand that, that these decisions made by regulators and by governments are difficult. But we're going to see this repeatedly. Uh, for every, If we do this for every single event that might be related to vaccine, the rollouts are going to be very slow because you're going to be stopping and starting and stopping and starting. Mm. And, and, and the UK hasn't done a lot right in coronavirus, I don't think we can, you know, claim to be covered in glory. You know, we've got some of the worst records of mortality and admissions in the, in the whole world. But the one thing we've got right has been the vaccine rollout. Mm. And effectively, what we've done is we've let our regulators just go on with regulating. Vaccines are incredibly safe; they're the safest medicines that we, you know that we have available to us. And and uh, we've we've done it quickly. We've done it with a with a really clear set of messaging. Mm. Uh, the the media has been reasonably responsible in this one, uh, and and unfortunately across the rest of Europe, it, it would appear that a lot of a lot of the institutions that that, that can influence these things are not paying attention to any of that. Mm. How likely is it? Uh, look at the various scenarios. One that there is, like you say, some rare link some rare possibility of, of a like deal. That's one possibility. The second one is that there's not, not nothing proven. But but how likely is it, and given your vascular background, how likely is it that this is just a coincidence? I think that's the likeliest thing, but we, we don't have a lot of information here. Some of, the, some of the information I saw suggested that it might not, in fact, be primarily a clotting problem. So that the, there has been leaked information about low platelets and about possible bleeding in those patients, which suggests a different pathology, something, for example, like immune thrombocytopenic purpura. That's an immune-mediated disease. For clots itself, it's, it's almost impossible to really... It's really, really difficult to imagine a reason a vaccine would cause a clot on its own. Mm. Uh, and and so, so from a kind of... If you were asking me from a scientific perspective... Have I got a good rationale for why peas might be associated with vaccines? I think it's hard to, to go from A to B in that one. Mm. There, there might be a, a route through the spike protein, which, which, which interacts with a, a receptor called ACE, mm. uh, the ACE receptor. So there's a, you know, there's a possible hypothesis there. But we've now, if that was the case, we'd see it with all of the vaccines because they all work the same way. Yeah. So I was think, speaking I think, to Professor Brint, an immunologist here locally in our local university, UCC, this morning, and I, I asked her... 
all these kind of things, like how a vaccine reacts with the blood, for example, and other bodily fluids, as it were, isn't that all tested at laboratory level anyway? Yeah, but, but people are much more complex than, than test tubes and than yeah. cells. So, so often we see unexpected things when we roll out medicines and vaccines to general populations. However, what we know is because these, the, the trials that have been run in these vaccines were absolutely huge. Uh, the subsequent rollout has been enormous. You know, in a very, very short space of time, we, we have millions of people around the globe that have been dosed with all of these vaccines. Mm. And what we can say from that is the safety of them is bulletproof. But that doesn't mean that there are no side effects. Gotcha. And so, and so, a brilliant example is the the what the, the anti-vaxxer example they always use is is the narcolepsy with a flu vaccine from a few years back. And the reason that didn't become apparent until later, until the, the vaccine was in widespread use, was because narcolepsy itself is incredibly rare. It happens in you know in the one in hundreds of thousands. So you have to dose a lot of people to pick up something like that. We cannot definitively rule out with with all of the vaccines we use that we're not going to we're, we're not going to see some very rare side effects, and those side effects may be big. But by definition, they're going to be very rare because we haven't picked them up with the millions of people that we've already dosed. So even if and when you know we, we find a, an unexpected side effect, it is going to be unequivocal that it doesn't change the risk versus benefit of getting one. Because we know that, you know, if you're in a, even a moderate, you know, heaven forbid, a high-risk category for for, mm. for for COVID, you're going to have a very significant mortality. Uh, so if you're over 16, you get, you've get you got hypertension and diabetes. That might be somewhere in the region of a 10% chance of mm-hmm. dying. It might be higher than that. But not just that, one in four of those people that gets admitted to hospital gets readmitted within another three months, so they're still unwell. And about 25% of them long-term at six months are are reporting very significant side effects. And when you think about that, on the one hand, versus the maybe one in a million chance of some rare thing happening with a vaccine, it's a really easy decision, uh, or it should be a really easy decision. And unfortunately, a combination of really poor uh, reporting from, from media outlets, from some quite factional pol- politicking from, from politicians who are not viewing the bigger picture, I think, and from some regulators who are feeling the political pressure to make ostentatious di- displays of safety is leading to this very much what, what I think of. It's, it's, almost like a, it's almost like a perfect storm of if you were naturally ve- hesitant about a vaccine, I could entirely understand why you would why you would now say, well, actually, I don't know who to believe because everybody's doing different things and mm. there's lots of... And, and that is it. kind of where we are in, in Ireland at the moment, Mark, in that AstraZeneca, we've been yeah. watching it being rolled out in the UK in huge numbers and people were being very cognizant yesterday of the fact that in the 11 million doses given out in the UK, there are no reports of anything yeah. like this, as you just said. And in the 17 million worldwide what is it we have at this stage is it is it less than 30 cases and and so i think that is you know that is the bigger picture here and and unfortunately the this this kind of perfect storm of 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 short-sightedness i think and and bad decision making is obscuring that bigger picture i mean if you look at the data from from the from scotland that was released about a week and a half ago what you see is we're we're talking about the 90 plus 
ballpark for effectiveness at preventing disease, hospitalisation and death. So it's, you know, all of the vaccines work and there may be differences from one vaccine to another. Uh, but but the reality is that, that, that all of these vaccines are going to save lives and it's not really a, a case of choosing one against another because right now most countries don't have the luxury of unlimited supplies of vaccines. So effectively what we're doing is we're setting up a situation where we are going to misuse this life-saving resource that has been set up. And it's, it, it, as somebody who's involved in the trials, it's really frustrating because on the one hand, this should be one of the world's biggest positive success stories because it, it's, it's a vaccine that was from day one, not made by a big company. Actually, just to pause you for a second, Mark, because at the at the beginning of our conversation, you mentioned that you had had some, you, you, you said that you were an investigator in early trials. Do you want to go through that for listeners and just explain what you were yeah, investigating? Yeah. So, so, so on the, the big pivotal trial in the UK where we, we recruited 10,000 plus people, I, I, I was the investigator at the Cambridge site. So I, I looked after 300 participants who, who all very bravely stood up and and, and agreed to have the vaccine before it was demonstrated to be safe. And then I had to look after them and, and, and make sure that we recorded any safety events and make sure that the trial process was, was done properly. So, so I, I understand this area pretty well. And, and it's the one vaccine in the world where, where there's been a commitment to make it at cost. And it, it's really the world's vaccine, and that's because it wasn't pioneered by a company, it's pioneered by university. And the university were very clear when they went into deal with AstraZeneca that they only wanted this to be taken forward commercially if it wasn't going to you know, make some company a huge amount of money and was going to be able to be uh, distributed fairly across the globe. Mm. So From effectively position, AstraZeneca is just making the stuff. All the knowledge came out of Oxford and yeah, Cambridge, correct? Exa- that, well, Oxford, not Cambridge. So, so, so that was, it's very much Oxford's, uh, okay. Oxford's vaccine. But right. uh, so, so it's, it's been very frustrating to watch it because I think for a number of complicated reasons, Mud has been thrown at it, and some of that mud has stuck. And, and so I can, I can completely understand. And I have no horse in the race about mm. what happens in Ireland. You know, I don't, I don't have any political axe to grind. I guess know, what Ireland it is as well, Mark, at the moment, is that we were about to start rolling this out this week to about twenty or 30,000 people who have severe underlying conditions. They were moved up our priority list. And I think a lot of families, I see messages on my screen coming in now from people who'd be worried, well look let's let's imagine that the EMA says on Friday or that it's okay to go ahead um, like, you, you would say to these people you can be confident that it's okay I, I, I really would uh, I think we, we if you were doing this back in, in January there was maybe, a, there was maybe a, a little bit of anxiety that would be appropriate because at that point only Tens of thousands of people have had a vaccine. At this point, hundreds of thousands, millions across the globe have had a have had a vaccine, and and and, the, and they are they are astonishingly safe. Safe does not mean no risk. Mm. But, but this is a bit like the doctor doing. Talking about this is a bit like a routine surgery, like having your appendix out, which for ninety nine yeah. people out of a hundred goes absolutely fine. But there's always the, the the risk for one. Is that what it is? It's just a little risk that's in there with everything. Anything we do in medicine always carry, even taking paracetamol carries a risk. And in fact, most you know most drugs will carry more risk than a vaccine. So, so it's not. It's really really important, particularly if you're talking about vulnerable populations where you have got medical comorbidity, to think about the context of what your risk of coronavirus is. So if you're being pushed up the list because you are high risk, then it's dead dead straightforward. You know the 
having a vaccine is unequivocally the safest thing you can do at this point. And lastly and briefly, if it is a thing, if the if they if in the if if as an outside chance they do discover that there's some causation between the vaccine and these very rare responses, will they put a protocol in place to deal with that? So what all that is likely to happen at that point is that is that the the license and labeling for the for the product will change to tell people that there is a small risk and that's what you you know that's what happens when you have any drug so any drug that you have there will be a big long list of things that that are potential side effects have you the the rarity of these events means it's unlikely to change who and and when or why we give a vaccine to because it it will be very very difficult to predict rare events by definition are are, are not easy to predict. Mm. Uh, so it will just be a case of telling people actually there may be this rare okay. or you know slightly increased risk of, of, of a complication, but it will not change the overall picture. And the overall picture is that we, we know, we already know this, so it, you know, completely irrespective of how this, this particular story pans out, the having a vaccine and having the AstraZeneca vaccine will be safer than getting COVID. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 and my concern again about this is that you do this once, so what happens the next time there's a rare thing that pops up? And, and most of them won't be related because, remember, rare things are still going to happen. If you give everybody in Ireland uh, the same treatment, people aren't going to stop having heart attacks and strokes and they're not going to stop having uh, funny and unusual things. They're, th- these things are still all going to happen. Yeah. It's and because the human, every, the human body is such a, is a thing that we don't know as much as we'd like to about. And everything. Listen, I'm so glad you were able to take our call today and I really do appreciate it. But what we're trying to do on this programme is stick with the science and, and stick with the, with the real science, as it were. So I do appreciate you taking my call this morning. Mark Toshner, who's a lecturer in the University of Cambridge, a vascular physician, and was also involved in the very early trials of the science that has gone into AstraZeneca. It's safe. And as Professor Brint said earlier this morning, it'll be grand. It'll be grand. It'll be fine. It'll be released for use again by the end of the week or maybe into next week. Good. 1850-715-996. My mother is over 70 and getting dialysis. Will it be safe for her to get AstraZeneca if it's offered? Asks Anne. Well, as uh, Dr. Tosner just said, he said, look, the chances of anything going wrong are far outweighed by the worst of what could happen with Corona. Mind you, she won't be offered it here. She won't be offered it here, no, because it's not been given to the over-70s yet. She'll get a Pfizer or a Moderna. Carla says, do they test the batches coming into Ireland to make sure they're up to scratch? They should make sure they have the right chemicals in them to the right proportions, for want of a better word. Also, isn't India now doing something, pausing, suspending? Pretty much the same as this one, actually, Carla. And they make it. Well, yeah, I think it's time we moved on from AstraZeneca and stuck some kind of a deal for Sinovac or something like that. Well, Sinovac, uh, yeah, the, Ch- the Chinese one, the Russian one, um, Sputnik, that will that is being made or will be made shortly in both Italy and Germany. And we'll probably end up buying some of that too. So that, as Luke O'Neill keeps telling us, that by the summertime, there could be half a dozen vaccines licensed for use in this country. We'll be grand, lads. We'll be grand. <laughs> The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Corks 96 FM. Yeah, the ever-reliable Dark Sky app is predicting quite a nice week's weather. Thank you very much. Particularly Wednesday, said Patrick's Day. 
about a 10% chance of a very, very light shower. Best temperatures in the afternoon, Wednesday, 15 degrees. Tomorrow, Tuesday, 16 degrees in the afternoon. And uh, next weekend, looking handy too. Looking very handy, very little by way of rain. And afternoon temperatures of about 14 degrees. Spring is well and truly upon us. No harm either. 1850-715-996 is the number to call. The text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696. And the email opinion at 96fm.ie. If you missed anything in our first couple of hours, including that very important real science to do with AstraZeneca and these uh, worrying times the reassurance that it will be okay and there's Luke O'Neill in the news at 11 o'clock again another um, major voice in science just saying look it will be fine it will be just fine don't worry don't be getting frightened about it nothing to worry about here Uh, if you want to hear all that again uh, it's on our podcast which goes up in mid-afternoon a lot of love in the room for Paul Butter we good old chat myself and Budsy earlier this morning about boxing and how good it is for young people and how he's anxious that young people can get back into their gyms very soon um, because they're missing out on their training and their fitness and their practice and just the discipline of boxing. He's worried about them. Hi PJ, I went to FOSS with Paul Bonimer. Paul will be running at 6 in the morning before going to FOSS. A great friend Paul's dad will also be with him on his bike. That's from John Ryan in Blackpool. Morning PJ, this is Andrew. I can vouch for the good work Paul does with his boxing club in the former Sunbeam. I managed the adjacent snooker club for a while. Shooters was next to the club. We both dealt with a whole myriad of these so-called street kids. No fault of their own. These kids are fantastic. They never asked to be born into the lives they had. The kids I dealt with in the snooker club would have boxed out of Paul's gym too. Society, social media and government have an awful, awful lot to answer for. Keep up the good work, Paul. So, a lot of care, a lot of love in the room there for, for Paul Munner. Let's go back to how we started this morning with, as I said, actual footage in thousands of homes around Cork City and County this morning. As the young ones went back out to school, parents turning somersaults in the drive. But in all seriousness, the, the kids in primary school, uh, the rest of primary school gone back this morning and the fifth, cl- fifth years in secondary school gone back today. And the hope is high that after the Easter holidays that everybody else will be back in school too. And it's been, it's been a hard time for the kids. It's been a hard time for the parents in particular. And on Friday, uh, Andrea Mara who writes the Office Mom blog and indeed has turned out a fair number of pretty decent books. She wrote in her blog, officemom.ie, this day last year, March 12th, at around this time, I remember listening to the radio and bursting into tears when it announced that schools would be closing for two weeks. It felt dramatic and scary and surreal. And as we all know, it went on for a lot longer than two weeks. Are they gone back this morning, Andrea? They sure have. Well, two, two of mine are gone back. One's still here, but she's the quieter one. So <laughs> two noisier ones are back. Yeah. So you one secondary left, yeah? I do indeed, yeah. Okay. yeah. Two we- I, we're listening back to the audio because we played some of it on Friday's programme for the anniversary. Like two weeks, people thought, ah, two weeks out of school could be fine. And look, what, what, what was it? Three, they had three months in the last 12. Yeah, 
I know, and I think when the announcement came, it was so dramatic and surreal, more so, I think, because it was so unprecedented. We, It, it was an indicator of how serious everything was. But the actual idea of the kids being at home two weeks in itself wasn't a big deal because, you know, two weeks is nothing in the bigger scheme of things. It felt like snow day really more than anything else and Mm. I remember everyone thinking oh we'll do some baking and you know maybe we can look up some cool apps for arts and crafts and learning languages and I don't know where we thought we were going to find all this time for the arts and the crafts and the baking but yeah the time off school in itself didn't seem worrying it was more that this was such a huge thing to happen that the Taoiseach was announcing every school in the country was closing. Mm. And then, yes, as we all know, it went on until September. So, mm. um, yeah, a, a bigger deal than we thought. Parents had to learn a whole new set of skills and a whole new set of buzzwords. I mean, Zoom was just one thing. Teams, Seesaw. It, it, yeah. Everyone had to learn a whole new way of working. And I guess trying to trying to hold down a job and run a home and educate your children while they're there with you can't have been easy for anybody. Yeah, and I think one of the things was that it was very different in different houses. So, you know, there were parents who were maybe just two parents in the family and both working full time and might have three primary school kids and just relying on screens of every kind, whether that's, you know, seesaw screen in the morning to tell them what assignments to do and Xbox screen in the afternoon to fill up a bit more time. And then there are other, like in my situation, I work part-time in that I usually write while my kids are in school and then I look after them in the afternoon. So this time around, I shifted my work hours. So I was able to sit with my son for homeschool in the morning and then go up and write in the afternoon So I guess it just, you know, and there are people maybe where there's one parent who generally doesn't work outside the home and arguably might have been seen as having an easier time of it. But I have a friend who was in that situation last time around and she said it was nearly easier this time around because she was working and didn't feel the same pressure to really properly homeschool her kids. She said when she was a stay-at-home mom last year, she felt like she should actually properly be a replacement teacher and Mm. be teaching her children. So I think nobody had it easy and everyone had a tough time, but in different ways. There's probably no universal experience, I would think. Yeah. You wrote in the blog on Friday that there there were positives out of the years, tough and difficult to know as it was at times. Definitely, yeah. Um, I definitely liked the slower mornings. I'm not a morning person. So Mm -hmm. like we were setting the alarm for an hour later than usual. And even just when the alarm went off, I'd have coffee and read Twitter in bed before getting up because we didn't have to start school at exactly nine o'clock or at any really specific time. Mm -hmm. And as I say, I was able to move my work hours. So I wasn't tied to like, you know, a 9am conference call or anything like that. So yeah, I loved the slower mornings, loved not making school lunches. And really liked, oh, no uniforms. I mean, my kids were in pyjamas till lunchtime every day and they were delighted with that. (laughs) And um, no homework in the afternoon because I suppose seesaw work is it's effectively homework so what they were doing all morning was the equivalent of homework so it was nice then that they didn't have more homework on top of that in the afternoon so there were lots of nice things and I actually did enjoy um, kind of 
sitting with my youngest and teaching him a little bit. And I, I not that I want to keep doing it or anything. I'm delighted he went back this morning. But mm. I, I think second time round, like at Christmas, when we realised what was happening, where the numbers were going, and that there was very little chance the schools were going to reopen, I remember thinking, okay, I have to make it work better this time round because it was a bit of a fiasco for me last time round, mm. and just you know rearranging things, figuring out what would work, and. It was actually quite nice. I liked hanging out with my son in the mornings and helping Great. him with his assignments and teaching him a bit of Irish. But yeah, I never want to do it again either. So. <laughs> <laughs> now, of course, what has happened is that your book deadline is looming. And I, I, I spoke to you about your last book, The Sleeper Lies, which I absolutely loved. Uh, it was one of my favourite books I read that year. Uh, you've, you. Have, you, have you a new one coming? Because I need to read more. Yeah, yeah. All her fault is out in July. So the the kind of proof copies are out there at the moment, gone to other authors in the hope of getting nice blurb quotes. And uh, the the sort of publicity side of things will will gear up now over the coming months, and then it'll be out in July. So it's about a woman who goes to collect her child from a play date. And when the door is answered, it's answered by a stranger who's never heard of her son. So. Um, well, yeah. like it already. <laughs> <laughs> I like it already. I look forward to reading it. Andrea, thank you very much. That's uh, Andrea Mara, the Office Mum blog and uh, writer of great. If you pick up her book, it's around. You'll find The Sleeper Lies. You'll probably get it online or wherever. It's a super book. Super, super book. And I can't wait for that new one she's got out in the summer as well. 1850-715-996 The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM With Lehan Motors Leading the way for Toyota hybrids The place to order your 211 Toyota See lehanmotors.ie Yeah, I watched it last night. I watched about an hour into it, the big royal interview. What do you think, Casey? Why do they feel they had to do that? Was it damage limitation? Maybe so. Asking Cork people. This is what we got in. Good morning, lads. Yeah, I watched that interview last night. It was basically Jeremy Coyle, where the guests had their own teeth. <laughs> Which is rare. Casey and Ross in the morning with Noel DC Cars Blackpool. Exclusively Skoda in the city. Find your next car online at noeldc.com. Open 24-7. Courts 96 FM. This is Courts Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850-715-996. On Courts 96 FM. Anne-Marie was on a little bit frightened she said I know how important it is to have the vaccine but after the scare with this one I'm now too afraid I probably won't well that's the problem Lorraine and that's exactly what uh, Dr. Teuschner in University of Cambridge was saying to us earlier on that that the, the huge level of publicity about this over the last couple of days and stupid headlines like it's banned that's what's frightening you the science is nothing to be worried about. It'll all be fine. And that's the message we tried to convey this morning. 1850-715-996. Read a piece in The Independent over the last while that says a new study has found that girls who play with ultra-thin dolls end up wanting a thinner body size by the age of as young as five, which is a very strange finding. Mind you, we always looked at the, the little small little dolls that some 
young girls play with, like little Cindy's and Barbies, like for goodness sake, like no one like no one looks like that. And we used to laugh at it. Like no one no one actually looks like that. And if they do, then that's very unhealthy. Um, but in actual fact, there was something in what we were saying. Because those dolls are not healthy. And giving them to very small children can affect how they think about their own bodies. This is interesting and somewhat disturbing research. Professor Linda Boothroyd is from Durham University in the UK and joins me now. Professor Boothroyd, good morning to you. Good morning. We always kind of knew that these dolls were unrealistic, but we didn't think they were doing damage. We now know that they are. Yeah, well, they certainly can be to some girls. Yeah. Like, how does how does how how was this discovered? So the way we ran our study, um, we we gave the girls a picture of a, a girl their own age on a computer screen, and they could move the mouse. And as they moved the mouse, she got bigger or smaller. So they were able to create for us what they thought was the, what they wanted to look like, what they most wanted to look like. And then we had them play with dolls for five minutes, which was either um, to very you know high-selling, ultra-thin dolls. Or it was a pair of dolls that represented a sort of healthy child's body shape. And at the end of that, we tested their body perceptions again. And what we found was that 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 period of a few minutes play with the ultra-thin dolls um, led to the girls wanting, on average, a thinner body at the end of the experiment than they did at the start, whereas those who had played with the healthy child dolls didn't show that kind of change. Um, So that suggests that at least some of the girls were internalising this sort of thinner body as part of their internal representation of their own body ideal. And then they were expressing that to us through the, the test we were using. We're talking about very young children here, between five and nine, which is yeah. a very young age for to be dissatisfied with your body. To be honest, we find, I mean, there's lots of other research also showing that um, girls start expressing body dissatisfaction through sort of standard questionnaire measures by six years of age. Um, The only reason I think we don't have data younger than six on those measures is because they can't really complete the questionnaires. So as soon as they're old enough to articulate and think about the ideas, um, they're actually, at least some of them, expressing body dissatisfaction already. So we know it starts really young. um, And one of the things we need to do is to understand what's driving that. Yeah, because that's very worrying as if 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 they're dissatisfied with their body at that age that can lead to far bigger issues down the line yeah I mean I think that there's two issues one is that body dissatisfaction in and of itself is a problem um, and it's associated with lower mood um, even even in sort of six seven eight year olds those who are more bo- dissatisfied with their bodies are more likely to have unhealthy eating attitudes but yeah if it persists then it can also turn into long-term depression, much less healthy approach to weight control, which means not exercising and maybe crash dieting. And in some individuals also, of course, it can lead to eating disorders. Mm. You, you point not just to that, but to other things that are out there. The perfect bodies in films and social media, and that also has an effect on, on young children. It, it makes for a lot of worry material for parents, really. That can, How can I protect my kids from all of this imagery yeah. that affects their thinking? Yeah, I mean, I have to say, I you know, I have 
I have kids and this is the, this is the first time in my entire career I looked at my own results on screen and wanted to cry. I was I was really quite shaken by it myself. Um and I think there's there's two issues really. One is I mean yes, it's part of a much bigger problem. It's not just toys. Um it's also it's not just dolls, it's also um wider ranges of toys. If you think about Lego friends, you know, those figures are very very skinny compared to other Lego figures. But if you think about television, um, then um, that massively overrepresents um, thin female bodies. So do children's cartoons, so mm. do films, advertising, everything. So it's full um, of perfect one, people. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, exactly. So on one hand, we we need a much broader sort of cultural response to this to to really try and uh, put pressure as consumers, for instance. Um, on companies to change the way they're presenting things. Um, but also on, on the flip side for parents really worried about their own children. Um, parents can do a lot to support body image in their children. Um, so through things like pre- presenting positive body image themselves, even if you have to fake it, you know, pretending that you love your body um, and and really focusing on um, functional aspects of the body, so the things that you know their body can do, like mm. run and jump, rather than what their body looks like when you when you're talking to them, and and trying not to impose appearance pressures on them yourself. Mm-hmm. So by by sort of building their self esteem more broadly and trying to take the focus away from their appearance, you can at least try and give them some of the sort of emotional resilience to withstand all these negative messages they may be getting from the media. Now, I know this focused um, pretty much on girls, but is there any information there about young boys? So there's much less research on young boys, although we are doing some at the moment. Um, We know, for instance, that um, boys' action figures have become considerably more muscular over time, as indeed have um, actors in action films. You know, if you compare Hugh Jackman from his first Wolverine role to his later roles, he he becomes dramatically more muscular. Yeah, and and The Um, Rock gets bigger with every movie. Yeah, exactly. So so we already know there's some evidence from adult men, for instance, that um, these kinds of images do cause them body dissatisfaction um, and we're now starting to dig into that more and how in boys and adult men this sort of drive for muscularity has developed because I agree that that's definitely a key issue we need to be thinking about too. Okay, obviously more research to be done but uh, food for thought there, Professor. Yep. <laughs> okay, thank you very much for joining us on The Opinion and that's Professor Linda Boothroyd from the University of Durham. All those things that we kind of thought do you remember when we held up the little dolls years ago and said, that doesn't look anything like a real person? Well, it was more than that. It's damaging. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See The Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. Monday at work or working from home, I've got the tunes from your favourite artists to whisk you through your afternoon. Honestly, it'll fly by. I'll bring you the latest news and all things Cork. See you for midday on Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now 083 396 On Cork's 96FM. Stuff still coming in about vaccines, and we've done our level best. 
this morning and will continue to do day on day as long as this thing continues with the AstraZeneca. We will go only to the scientists and see what they have to say. And so far this morning, all of the scientists we've talked to are saying, look, this is nothing to worry about. They're just pausing it. In fact, one of them has said to us, this pause will frighten people far more than they need to be frightened. Hi, PJ. I got the AstraZeneca vaccine last Thursday. I was fine after it. I have bone cancer. I was delighted to get my first jab. This scaremongering will put a lot of people off getting their injections now, which is exactly what Dr. Toshner from Cambridge University was saying to us. The natural fact, the hullabaloo in the media and in some sections of the media talking about bans and frightening info, that's actually causing more harm than anything to do with the vaccine. But thank you for that, and I hope you're okay. And uh, sorry to hear you have bone cancer, but I hope it all works out for you. Uh, This is great. I like this one, and I can see where Anne-Marie is coming from. Even though with Paddy O'Brien on the programme last week, reminding us that, look, the over-80s and the over-70s who are getting their vaccines need to wait until they've had their two doses before they're completely safe to go about uh, a normal life. But Anne-Marie says, I work, in a vol- I work voluntarily in a social centre for the elderly and we are getting more and more requests from the elderly now that the vaccines are coming through, wondering when the centres will reopen. I think the government should make a decision to open all the social centres at once and lay out the criteria for when that might happen, like when so many are vaccinated or when the cases fall below a certain amount, etc. It would give the older people something to look forward to. That's actually a great discussion, Anne-Marie, because we're going to get very soon, despite the the hold-up, we're going to be very soon at a point where pretty much anyone who'd be in those elderly day centres has had a vaccine and and is safe. So you could realistically, and if you had the staff vaccinated in these places as well, you could quite feasibly reopen these social centres, community social centres for the elderly people. I think that's a brilliant idea, Anne-Marie, because they've been locked up for nearly a year and they really miss their friends. And now that they're all vaccinated, they want to get out and want to get back around their lives. Uh, And look, many, there will be, it's not as simple as opening everything up. There's, it's not as simple as just opening everything up, but it's worth thinking about. So thank you for that, Anne-Marie. Khan says, I'm 10 years fighting cancer and I was due to get my vaccine today, but now that has been cancelled. I wonder, says Khan, think, I think this is one of the tweets of the day. I wonder how much meds I took over the years that were 100 times more dangerous than a vaccine. And then this one. You're not wrong, Twit Khan. Absolutely, Khan. You're dead right. On the subject of the vandalization of graves in Balancholic, which we were talking about very early this morning, and the disgraceful carry-on in Balancholic <clears throat> over the weekend, Liam in Blackpool says, Hi, PJ, on the subject of the vandalization of the graves, it's simple, really. It's all in the breeding and how you were raised as a child by your parents. My father always said to me, Show me your company and I'll tell you what you are. I've lived by that to the best of my abilities. So raise them right and you'll have no plight. Raise them wrong and it won't be long, says Liam in Blackpool. 
with a bit of good old-fashioned wisdom. Thank you, Liam. 1850 Talked earlier with Siobhan about her experience about 10 years ago when a guard that tried chatting her up in the pub, uh, she didn't want much to do with him at all, uh, subsequently got her phone number, started calling her, and it was a bit like, creepy, and we talked about how, you know, she has a daughter and a son, and it was all a follow-on from Holly, Holly Keating, who we spoke with on Friday, and that was a follow-on from the terrible story from the UK. Um, but with the more and more stories that are coming about, but just creepy guys doing creepy things uh, and frightening the life out of people, or trying to. A um, lot of stories coming into us. Um, Monica, good morning to you. Hi, good morning. What happened to you? So basically, I think this was about a year ago before the pandemic and stuff, yeah. Um, I was going to the post office in Cork there and as usual, like, if someone says hello, you say hello back, you know, just being polite. Yeah. So this happened to me, some random guy was like, hello, I was like, hi. And I was like, okay, you're very beautiful. I'm like, oh, thank you very much. And I kept on walking on. And your man followed me into the post office. And then it was like, oh, so I, you're very beautiful. I'm like, okay, yeah. And it was like, oh, can I have your number and all? And I didn't really want to create a scene, but I was just like, um, uh, you know, kind of like mincing my word and stuff like that. And then behind me, there was an elderly gentleman um, that kind of saw what was happening. And he just came closer to me. He was like, oh, here you are. Oh, your mom is waiting. We have to go to dinner soon. I hope you're going to, uh, you're going to make it this time. You always don't come home. And then literally, like, I just kind of copped on that he knew what was going on nice. and just wanted me to feel comfortable. And I was so, so happy because then the guy actually then, like, looked at him and looked at me and then backed off. He now, just pre- he pretended to be your dad, was it? He pretended to be my dad. Now, I am black and this man was white, but he didn't think twice, yeah, before mm. stepping in. And it was just so, like, it was such a relief because... Even though I, I was in a public space and things like that, I was quite uncomfortable, yeah. you know. So, and some guys don't realize that when a girl was, is always like, okay, fine, you know, they can they should back off, but most times they don't. Mm. And imagine if I was just maybe like, this was at night time on a lonely road, God knows what would have happened. Yeah, I suppose that must have occurred to you as well, like when this was all over and as you said, he'd scarpered because of the, the elderly man who intervened in fair play to him. Like, if that had happened on a, on a, a dark evening or a twilight out in the road on your own, you'd have been terrified. Definitely. And I consider myself quite strong and I know a little bit of self-defense and that kind of gives me a little bit of like comfort that maybe I can protect myself. But you never know in these situations, you know, like you don't know what the next person is like. Yeah. Do you feel a bit nervous going around? I mean, we were talking to Holly on Friday and she just said herself and her friends would feel very nervous now uh, walking, especially in the evening after dusk or twilight feel very nervous walking around on their own most definitely um if i'm working walking to the car park i would always make sure i have my keys out just in case i my i would maybe like be on the phone to somebody on a speakerphone so they know that there's actually somebody on the other end like that even though i it might seem like sometimes i have my headphones on there's no music playing because i'm listening to the surroundings so these simple things like it, it's it's you kind of do it subconsciously but when all this came around you're like wow so I actually take this precaution subconsciously just because, just in case. Yeah, it's, it's a very uncomfortable way to have to live. Simple thing like walking to your car after work that you have to almost be prepared for a fight walking that couple of hundred yards. Yes, 
yes, every time I do that, my key's always out. Always out. It's, yeah. That's, that's a bit yeah. scary. It is. I just hope that with all this um, the news going on, that some guys will understand that it's, even though you don't behave like that, there, these are things that most women think about when they're walking. So if you can make um, a lady comfortable, that's fine. Making a lady comfortable doesn't mean talking to her. It could mean just maybe crossing over to the other side. Yeah. If it's just the both of you on the road, you know? Yeah, so Holly, Holly, made a, Holly said to me on Friday, you know, because... Um, that like even when you're out for a walk in the evening, as yeah. you do, you're even a man out for a walk in the evening. That a young girl or a girl of any age, woman of any age, can be fr- like take me now for a walk up and down the road there of an evening. She can be frightened by the very sound of my footstep. Now oh, that's terrible. I, I can't imagine what it's like to live like that. Frightened by the sound of my footstep. Yeah, 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 yeah. And also, if I can just say to most ladies out there, if you can, it will do no harm to just even learn some kind of self-defense. You mm. you don't know people. So even though you think you can protect yourself, just knowing that you could have those skills could even make a small difference in a situation like that. So, okay. oh, anyway. Well, I'm glad it worked out for you okay that day in the post office. Did you ever find out who the elderly man was who pretended no. to be your dad? No, I didn't, but I was so grateful. And yeah. he being like, oh, I was just like, oh, my God, thank you so much. Yeah, I didn't, I, I hope he's listening anyway. But I'm so, so grateful, and I've never forgotten. Like, yeah. it's, you know, like it's so amazing. All right, okay, Monica, thank you very much for the call. 1850 Kate makes a point. It's a valid point, Kate, but you, you have to, I think at this stage, we have to look at it from the female point of view. They are now so scared by the number of creeps out there that they can't decide who is and who isn't. And that must be a very hard position to be in. I feel very sorry for the decent guys. They won't know how to approach a girl after all this. And Kate, that's absolute. Look, that's so true. And I've had mothers of sons say to me, you know, Jesus, I have teenage boys that are the grandest lads in the world, but they're afraid of their lives to ask anybody out for fear that someone will think they're a creep. But that's the world in which they've grown up because of the actions. It's very hard. It's very hard. But at the moment, we're listening to the stories because of Sarah Everard and we're learning just how scared people like Monica, people like Holly on Friday and her mates are. And people like Siobhan this morning when that creep of a copper got her phone number and started pestering her to go out with him uh, 10 years ago. Those are the stories we're listening to at the moment because they deserve their they deserve to let those stories breathe right now. There might be a conversation another way. Do you know what I mean? Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. It's Cheltenham week. I read out that uh, letter earlier this morning from someone whose life has been affected by compulsive gambling, not by them, but by a loved one. And I mentioned after it that, you know, Cheltenham is, is, is a week in which the compulsive gambler can have a horrible week and their families can have a horrible week. And, you know, we may discuss it again in the course of the next few years. But for now, let's look at the Cheltenham Festival and let's look at it for what it is, which is just an enormous sporting event. And in the past, I've never gone there, but in the past, I've gone out on the Friday and we finish up on the Friday, gone out for the few pints and the few flutters and a bit of crack. And it's great. It's brilliant. It's the biggest event outside of the Grand National. Let us go to our C103 colleague, Rory Burke. Rory, good morning, sir. 
Good morning to you, PJ. How are you? Good. What is it, Rory, that makes this such a big festival in terms of its importance? Well, PJ, first of all, it's the Olympics of jump racing. It's where the best horses in Ireland travel over to England to do battle with the best British horses to take them on to win in their home soil. That is something very, very special, PJ. And that's what it's all about. It's the best of Irish taking on the best of English. Because mm, it really is England versus Ireland. There's a few French horses come over, isn't there? But generally it is England versus Ireland. We keep score from start to finish. Absolutely. It's called the uh, Presbury Cup. You have to go back as far as 2015, the last time that uh, Great Britain had more winners than Ireland over the four days. Um, again this year, Ireland heading over with an extremely strong team, PJ. And it looks like we'll come out ahead in that as well. Mm. Now, it's being held with em- an, an empty ground this year. Uh, because of the because of the pandemic, but they're saying that the field, in terms of people who want to go out and have a have a flutter, the field is as strong as ever, if not stronger. Oh, absolutely! The quality of horses uh, competing this week, uh, unbelievable. Probably uh, the strongest field, definitely over the past five years. As you said, it's definitely a different festival this year, but no crowds, no atmosphere, and no amateur jockeys either. Uh, PJ, oh really? Like old. Yeah, no amateur jockeys. It's a part of uh, the British protocol, which is very disappointing, particularly here in Cork, because we have a very strong fancy. For instance, on Friday, a horse called it came to pass. It won the Fox Hunters last year. Now, PJ, the Fox Hunters is known as the Amateur Gold Cup. It's what the amateur jockeys will give their right arm to right in the race. Unfortunately, they can't. The horse is trained at Mallow by Eugene O'Sullivan. It was written last year by his daughter, Maxine, and unfortunately, uh, she can't take part in the race. But the funny thing about it is they can travel over with the horse, they can mind the horse for the week, they can parade the horse around the parade ring, they can bring the horse back in after the race, but yet she can't ride it. It has to be given to a professional jockey to ride it. It has to be given to a professional jockey. And is that, jockey, down, is yeah. that down to COVID, Rory? It's down to COVID. It's a rule that was brought in in the UK, uh, I think, in January that amateur jockeys aren't allowed to compete while they can compete here at home in Ireland, PJ. Now, we all know as well as, obviously, the -the on-the-course action over the four days, like Cheltenham itself and the surrounding area there in Gloucestershire, it's like a beehive for the week. People travel, but you kind of hope against hope that they don't this year. Well, they won't be allowed. Travel Cheltenham Town is in complete shutdown. Uh, The lads that are heading over with the horses have to live uh, eat, sleep in the race course, PJ. Like, they're not allowed to leave. They're tested two weeks ago. They're tested again before they arrive. So, like, the toad itself is a complete lockdown. No one will be allowed near the race course. Pubs aren't open or anything, no? Oh, absolutely no. Wow. No. Wow. Just like here, unfortunately, it's going to take yeah. from the festival. I heard you mention it uh, a little earlier that, you know, there's great crack to be had going down to your local pub, having um, a few drinks, watching the racing, unfortunately. We can't do that either, but we can enjoy uh, terrific racing from the comfort of our own home. Yeah. Now, while we're not inc- we're not allowed to encourage anybody to be be- to be betting, and I guess in in the wake of the letter I read out this morning, which is a very upsetting one for this, can be a difficult week for the. Fa- but ha- have you any anything we should watch, Rory? Shall we say? Well, do you know something, PJ? Again, with a cork interest, you should watch a cork jockey, as you probably know, him, obviously Paul Townend. Yeah. He's from the school. He have a cracking week. Fingers crossed he'll be crowned uh, leading jockey. Uh, for instance, the first race tomorrow, uh, he, he should win that one, appreciate it. And he'll go right through the card, of course. His uh, main race is the Gold Cup on Friday. He's going for three 
uh, Gold Cups in a row aboard Album Photo, and he's a cracking, cracking chant. Also, there's uh, more local interest on Thursday in the Marshes, a uh, novice chase trained in Canturk by Mick Winters, the horse's Chatham Street lad, and again written by a Cork jockey, uh, Darrell Key. But follow the Cork jockeys this week. Uh, the likes of Aidan Cole with Gavin Shee and Adrian Heston, David Noonan and Richie McLaren, just to mention a few. And you'd be, you'd be tipping Paul Townend to, to, to be the leading jockey? I would. I think he'll win a good three or four races easily right. uh, this week, including the Gold Cup on Friday. All right. There's a man who knows his racing, Rory Burke of our sister station, C103. Thank you, Rory. Now, one of the great pubs, and this is, it, 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 it becomes like, like a cathedral, a Cheltenham cathedral for the week, and it won't be open uh, this week, of course, is Larry Tompkins. Larry, good morning. Good morning, DJ. How are any, you? Any Cheltenham day in your pub, boy, is like being there. <laughs> Ah, yeah. It's a, it, it, look, it's a, it's a massive week. Like it's just a week that you look forward to. It it's penciled in on the calendar. And uh, look, going back twelve months, is it the last big event where there was uh, over fifty thousand people? Twice, yeah. Than, Twice, uh, yeah. You know, there was contemplating even on the tours and Friday, like that would Boris Johnson kind of uh, call a halt to that maybe it wouldn't finish it out last year. Mm. So that's how that's how it panned out. And uh, here we are a year on and. Uh, what an unusual scene it's going to be this week in relation to no crowds and you know like like yourself PJ I've been there a good few times and uh, look there is no better place for the week uh, whether you have no interest in the race and just be there the atmosphere whether you're back in Irish horse to win and he wins you're still running it's a braid ring to, to, to clap it in because it's just that battle with the English and the Irish yeah. and uh you know, for years, uh, the English had the upper hand and Ireland found it very, very hard to get a, a few winners on the board. Uh, how it's transpired now and the way the Irish have really dominated over the last uh, five or six years. And uh, again, it looks like this year, like that the Irish are going to have a, a real big say in a lot of these big races. And, uh, you know, Willie Mullins has a, a massive, massive uh, machine of horses going there. So, yeah. look, he'll, he'll have a... An abundance of winners there, I'm sure, you know. Well, we'll miss the we'll, we'll we'll miss the big screens, we'll miss the cocktail sausages, we'll miss the pints and we'll miss Ted Dunn. But we'll 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 make our best of it at home, won't we? Ah, yeah, look and and rightly so, like like you mentioned, people there that unfortunately are not with us and uh Look, Ted been one. Like it's it's just been an it's just been an unnerving year of PJ and look, listen, isn't it great that these events are there the people can watch it and uh, enjoy the, mm. the, the, the massive race and, and the, the massive talent of horses that Ireland are producing and uh, look it, it promises still to be a brilliant week yeah. I know it's going to be unusual with no crowd but look listen to everybody out there just sit in front of the TVs yeah. enjoy the spectacle enjoy it. and uh, and it'll pass away a few nice hours for you alright all right. good man Larry thanks very much and here's hoping by this time next year we'll be back in to, to, to the pubs uh, to watch it of, of an afternoon because it's a great it's a, it's just one of my favourite Fridays of the year is when we get to go into the pub to watch Cheltenham uh, for a couple of hours 1850715996 now uh, before I go something else is happening and we won't we won't be here uh, on uh, Paddy's Day which is which is Wednesday but there's a whole festival going on uh, during the week and I'm joined briefly by Michelle Carew the Arts Officer for Cork City Council Michelle good morning Good morning how are you? Great plenty to keep us entertained over the next few days 
Absolutely plenty. I suppose this is our second St. Patrick's Day um, in the pandemic. And this year we really wanted to make sure that there was a real sense of an opportunity to celebrate. Um, So it's a hybrid event. So anybody who's been around um, after dark in the city the last number of days and continuing on to St. Patrick's Day will notice that the sheer number of green landmarks across yeah, the city over 40 buildings it's really looking beautiful as well as that uh, large projection on Orange Hall which yeah, what, is, uh, what's that about explain that that's, that's fantastic yeah, yeah it's beautiful it's really what it is the theme of St. Patrick's Festival this year is metal and I suppose that's a reflection on I suppose the year that's been and the sense of community spirit and the way we've all had to kind of lift each other up and look after each other and how people have um, people of the city have really raised to that challenge. And I suppose the message that's um, being projected on RNH Hall kind of encapsulates that as well. It's um, it's uh, it's a it's a shanuckle. Um, which, which roughly, you know, you can never directly translate from, from Irish, but it's about, you know, within the shelter of each other we live. And it's about that, uh, mm. that sense of support. So it's a message to the city, but it's also a message from the city to people all over the world because it's, it's the images of that we shared online as well. So, so that's the, you know, that's the, the kind of real, uh, visible, yeah. um, in, you know, in real life stuff. And then there's, Lots of There's a fabulous online, online music too. event with, with John yeah. Scalan and, and loads more. Mm, mm. Yeah, so our friends at the White Horse and Cochrane's Live have uh, come to the rescue and they've programmed a really, um, a really gorgeous event at 5pm, um, it, it, uh, which has been pre-filmed from from the White House in Cocklands and as you mentioned the Kelly All Stars, John Spillane, etc. And it's programmed at that that time where usually you'd be coming in from the parade into your trad session at five o'clock and it has a really it's called From the Heart and it's fireside and it can be really quite a lovely event. It's for um anybody to watch from court but also it'll be shared with the diaspora across the world as well. So Great. that's a particularly lovely event. And then for those of you who have kids at home who are feeling crafty you've got a lovely range of various workshops that you can do that have been led out by some of our brilliant community and street arts and youth arts organisations in the city so everything from making your own uh, puppet St. Patrick with Cork Puppetry Company you can make your your, uh, parade costumes uh, with graffiti um, and one of my favourites is the Earthbirds. It's a beautiful workshop by uh, artist Rachel Doolan, okay. where if you're sick of being cooped up, you can get outdoors and gather up lots of um, items from nature to create your own Earthbirds. So there's I, a, just there's a whole range of 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 of, of, of programs. I think all the, I think all the information that you need is on mm. a very handy website, corkspatricksfestival.ie. That's the one. That's the one. And also follow um, our um, our social media accounts on Twitter and Facebook on the day. And we, there'll, there'll be some nice surprises and some, some nice St. Patrick's Day wishes from some well-known Cork faces great. and celebrities on the day as well. Here's hoping it goes great for everyone. Thank you very much. That's Michelle Carew, Arts Officer with Cork City Council. It's the Patrick's Day Festival. That's it for today. The programme edited by Terry Brennan, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. See you tomorrow, just after nine.